0: Well, if you will, go with me to the first 14 verses so of the book of Colossians. Colossians is kind of a uh, um, a packed little book. Um, I could tell you that it's four chapters long, so if you started reading it this week uh, and read a chapter a week, you got through with it before we got to the end of the week. You may not want to read that much. You may want to read only a paragraph a day or so, or kind of go back and forth. It, it'll take us a few weeks to get through this because it's so packed in. Even as I say it's, it's only four chapters, uh, in my Bible, let's see, I wrote this down. It's two and a half leaves of my Bible. You know what I mean? It, it's this page, this page, and about half of that page. Uh, so, but it's so packed in. Now, my daughter had a birthday yesterday. Rhonda made her a cake. And I noticed she left the icing behind, which, by the way, I'm good with that. Um, But if I were to ask her why, she would say, well, it's just too rich. Packed in, right? This is, uh, yeah, there it is. There's the middle out of that cake. Um, She always cuts the middle piece out of the cake for everything. So this is an impactful packed in rich book. And I want to tell you that I don't think I could do what I do on a daily basis. I may not even know what I need to know over the last 45 years of ministry without Colossians 1 verse 15 through 20. It's just so important. So we're not going to get there today. We'll probably get there next week. But, but I, I want you to know how important this is. Now, uh, it's a small letter, uh, not without a little bit of controversy. There's some discussion over whether or not the Apostle Paul wrote it. What you need to know is that this is Paul's writing, okay? Um, uh, everything I've read doesn't convince me otherwise. Um, uh, what happened is back in the 19th century, back in the 1800s, um, higher criticism was in its, in its heyday, and everybody questioned ev- everything. So they began to question, well, Paul probably didn't write this. There's some 30 or so verbs that he never used in another book. You know what? He used them here. Okay. Um, uh, A that, that lot of, of that kind of thing is going on here, but we're going to say that Paul wrote it, and we're going to say that um, Paul had reason for some new superlatives because he wants you and I to understand uh, in spades who Jesus is, where he came from, why he came uh, in some of my reading earlier this week uh, in preparation for some discipling things, um, the, the author I was, I was reading, it wasn't even on the, on the subject of Colossians, but he was talking about uh, curriculum for discipleship, and he's saying the book of Colossians is a great curriculum for discipling another person because it introduces them to Christ and who he really is. And then it goes on to say, not only do you need to know who he is and know the gospel, but here's how to live like he wants you to live. Um, So it's pretty perfect and pretty packed in um, uh, book. So one of the things that Paul's going to go after and one of the reasons uh, that people kind of argue a little bit over who wrote this is he's going to make a lot of points here on who Jesus was aimed at a particular heresy. Um, actually, a couple of different heresies, but one in particular where uh, there is a, there's a heretical teaching that the Colossians are exposed to that Paul wants to be careful with that would literally say, you remember the old... Um, kind of a poem i remember hearing it back in the 80s Rhonda, from our, our pastor in kentucky back in the 80s footprints in the sand you remember that it's on, on a lot of cards and posters and that kind of thing well one of these uh, first century heresies would say that when jesus walked the planet he didn't leave a footprint because he wasn't human oh wow okay that blows that poem out of the water doesn't it you remember the idea was there were only one set of footprints where were you and the answer was that's when I carried you. Yeah. So when he walked the planet, he ate and slept and hurt and drank and left footprints in the sand. Okay. Now let's get into it a little bit. Um, I'm going to give you an, a little more background, but I want to get. Let's do an overview. Steve, you mind to read all 14 of these, uh, the first 14 verses in the book of uh, Colossians?
1: We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love you have for all of the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins.
0: Sounds like a song, almost, doesn't it? We'll we'll talk about that a little bit because there's so much of this that reads almost like a hymn, in particular what we're going to study next week. And there's a reason for that. We'll talk about that in weeks to come. So we believe that the um, planter, the starter of the church in uh, Colossae was not actually Paul. In fact, uh, Steve reads his name here in about verse 7 or so. Uh, His name is Epaphras. Evidently, reading context, we don't get specificity on this, but we have to read between the lines. Evidently, Epaphras was in jail with Paul at one time. Paul led him to faith, taught him how to follow Jesus, and Epaphras goes back home to the place where he's from, which is Colossae, and begins a church there. Now catch this design okay so Colossae was 100 miles or so inland from uh, Ephesus which was a major center on uh, in Turkey on the sea it was part uh, uh Colossae was part of a, a group of three cities that were fairly close together um Colossae and Laodicea what do you remember about Laodicea uh, they lost their first love. Yeah, this is one that that um, John talks about in the, in the early early verses of, uh, of Revelation. And then the other one was Hierapolis, which uh, was kind of a uh, modern-day hot springs. And they were all pretty well close together. But interestingly, an archaeology doesn't leave us a whole lot of clues about Colossae. And in fact, one writer that I read this week uh, put it this way. Those other two were kind of really important centers and Colossae kind of wasn't uh, one writer says um, um, that Colossae was the most unimportant town to which Paul ever wrote his letter. Uh, interesting. Okay. I could make up some towns right here but I'd make somebody mad. Okay. Right. Uh, um, Frank I'm not going to say Ardmore. Okay. You're just not going to do it. All right. I might say Paola, but I'm afraid somebody else here you know, comes from Garvin County. So um, my dad and mom, my mom grew up in Paola, which was a which was a thriving metropolis compared to Peabine, where my dad grew up. So um, anyway, an unimportant thing in, in where the world is concerned, but they become this great center here uh, in, in terms of a, a discipling church. Now I want you to see this in your mind. Paul's in prison, probably in Rome, when he writes this. A long distance away, a person that he's led to faith begins a church. And he makes the trip. The church sends him back to see Paul to check on him and to say, let me tell you what's going on in a little place called Colossae. Now catch that, because when Epaphras goes back to the church he brings a letter with him from the letter writer of letter writers and that's what we've got in front of him let me read this to you he says from my buddy my disciple Paul and he begins to talk about Paul uh, and Paul begins to talk about his own life here a little bit now He's going to begin, we're going to begin today in talking about prayer. And we're going to look, as Paul models for us, how he prays for these people that, you got to catch this, he's never met. The only one of them he knows is Epaphras, the pastor there that he led to faith some months ago. So we're going to model here. Paul's going to model for us a kind of effective prayer um, and what an uh, integral part uh, prayer is in the life of a follower of Christ. Now, so let me ask the question. I'm curious your answer. I I know the word I'll come up with. When you hear the word prayer, or when you hear somebody even like me today say, we're going to talk today about prayer, how do you feel? Uh, I have a tendency to feel guilt. Right there. Um, Do you feel confident? Do you feel excited? Kind of bored? What do you think? When somebody says, we're going to talk today about prayer, how does that make you feel?
1: Necessary.
0: It is necessary. You're right. We're going to see how necessary today. Warmth. Warmth. Oh, good. Especially, Miriam, when I know that you're praying for me. By the way, one of the things we've discovered is we've trained uh, students, young ministry students to do work in the hospitals is I've I just kind of got a sneaking suspicion that most adults have never heard their name spoken out loud to God in prayer by another human. By the way, guys, when we gather on Tuesday morning, those wrestlers in that group, that's one of the beauties of this thing. We get to hear each other pray for each other. And we do it in here. Okay. Um, warmth. Somebody else got a word? I'm what type of prayer you're praying? Okay. We'll, intercessory. we'll get to that. Yeah. But just in general, uh, I have a tendency, Brad, to feel a little bit of guilt. Am I doing it right? Am I doing it well? Am I doing it enough? You know? Um, well, I think
2: it's just talking to God.
0: And Joanne, you're absolutely right. And I I think we've got to unpack this idea that prayer isn't something that only Paul could do, that only Jesus could do. It's something we all must do.
1: You pray without ceasing all the time. And it's a personal prayer time with the Lord where he gives you peace and encouragement. He doesn't Mm -hmm. care how you pray. The idea is that you're coming to him
0: in prayer, that you want to spend time with him and him alone. I had a, had a friend in eastern Kentucky who uh, uh, came to Christ. His whole family came to Christ in like a month. He had three kids, and all of them came to faith, and it was great to watch Jim come to faith. And, and when he first started working with us, um, he would say, man, he would pray out loud in front of a bunch of teenagers that we were working with, and then he'd come to me on the on the side afterwards and apologize for how he prayed, and I would just say, "Oh, don't! That was beautiful because it was from his heart. It was exactly him expressing his heart to God." Debbie, you had a comment.
2: I like the word intimacy mm. because we can say things to the Lord uh, that we often cannot say to anyone else.
0: Can I become ever intimate with God without ever speaking to Him or listening to Him? It's just like a relationship with anybody else, Gloria.
2: Privileged.
0: It is a privilege. A high privilege. Joe? Uh, I love this class, and it just reinforces my affirmation in Christ. But like you said, guilty when you go to prayer is how I feel when I start with the support event. Encouraging and what Estella says, like like Psalms one two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and yeah. his law of the meditates day and night. Yeah. It is a privilege. And so you guys get it. This is good, Nadine.
2: I had written something on it. Says so the importance of prayer includes asking and getting answers from God, but it's more than just asking. It is confessing, it is adoration, thanksgiving, and it is also fellowshipping with God. But the nature of prayer is talking with God, and we need to also listen. We're not only asking or uh, make requests, but we should wait on answers. And another thing, it's a sin not to pray. Uh,
0: hey, you know, she's, she's whistling our tune, isn't she? Okay, so let's let's get into this a little bit. The first couple of verses that Steve read a bit ago are talking about kind of Paul identifying himself as an apostle. He's with Timothy, uh, those kind of things, and he prays a grace and peace over them. That's always a great prayer. But beginning in um, verse 3. Okay, he's going to, let's read just three and four. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. So the idea here is, um, uh, he says he always thanks God. It's kind of the primary verb. Um, and he everything that follows after that, after verse 4, is um, things that he is thankful for. That's a good place to start in prayer. Start with what you're grateful for. Do you have a tendency, as I might have a tendency to occasionally, to begin with a wish list as I pray? Lord, I need you to fix this. Would you show up in here? Take care of this one. Here we go. Instead of saying, "You are so good to me." Thank you for all you do for me. Okay, so he kind of begins. That's a good pattern to begin with. But notice here, Paul did had Paul ever met them? No. But he knew how to pray for them, because he'd listened. He had heard what was happening in the church in Colossae, and even though he was a great distance away, uh, you know, for a long, hundreds of miles away, he knew how people were pro- pro- progressing in their faith. Um, he knew, uh, he didn't know them, but he knew their faith. I think that's kind of beautiful here. So, what efforts, what extreme efforts here did the church go to to make sure that Paul knew who they were and what they needed? They, sent him, they went to the trouble of sending their messenger to them, to tell them. Now, here's my question. When is it most helpful to have details about a person or a situation in order to pray? I'm going to give you an You've got an illustration this morning. I knew something was going on with John because I got a text from Katie. I wasn't sure if it was your John, Katie, for a bit or John Reed, and I thought it was next week, but it was last week. Okay, so I wasn't informed enough on that, and we prayed appropriately because John was right here informing us. Okay, um, Isn't it interesting? I really can't pray uh, until I first listened. Uh, Now, there are times when I've got to pray when I don't know all the details. Lord, I know that Ellie is going through something. I don't know yet what it is, but I ask you to be with him. But isn't it much better when I've listened first? Uh, Doug Manning uh, will say, Um, in in our training on this kind of stuff, he talks about the fact that you can't really pray before you've listened, so listen first. He's gonna actually say the opposite, and you, you and I have been all guilty of this, I just about bet. The opposite of listening, he's gonna say, is waiting. In other words, I'm not really listening to you. I'm just waiting for a break in the conversation, waiting to say what I want to say. So are you listening or are you just waiting before you pray? Now, so the, the first idea here is that Paul's prayers were informed. He knew about them. Second, let's begin in verse 5. Paul's prayers were also inspired by the gospel. John, can I come back to you and have you read verse 5 through 8? The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all of its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. Okay, so it's interesting. So while our prayers may be filled with concerns about somebody's health or employment or uh, the nation or the world, Paul's primary concern was for the work of the gospel in the lives of the people in that church. It's okay. It's right to pray for the concerns we encounter. Uh, Maybe you, like me, have memorized Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, uh, where it talks about uh, letting my requests be made known to God so that I might live in peace. Estella, you kind of referred to that a little bit ago, frankly. And Jesus, in his model prayer, says we ought to pray for our daily bread. Right? But if we're not careful... My concerns, my needs, or even those, the needs of those around me will dominate our prayers. The word supplication kind of comes to mind. But here, he's praying about the advancement of the gospel in particular. And uh, how important that is. Can I get somebody to run over to Matthew? Cindy, would you go to Matthew 9 and read verse 37 and 38? I think it's really interesting to me. um, And and I saw this a couple of years back. I I just missed it before. What Jesus is actually praying about when he gathers the disciples together to pray for harvest. Okay, so pray for the kingdom to advance, for the gospel to be shared. Uh, Cindy, uh, Matthew 9, verse 37, 38.
2: Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field.
0: What's Jesus praying for? Notice that Jesus doesn't say pray for souls. Does that sound uh, like a heretical statement? Jesus says pray for harvesters. Because he knows that this expansion of the gospel is going to come from you as you share your life and your faith with those around you. He's going to say to Epaphras, um, folks, I am praying not only for you, but I'm praying for the people that you're going to impact. I'm praying for more and more harvesters to come into the field. Um, we've got a, an opportunity here to partner with God in his work. Now. Let's just take a half a verse here. So look at 1-9, I'm just going to read part of it. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So the idea here is Paul's prayers were persistent. Uh, some of our prayers may be kind of one and done, but he's going to say, I haven't stopped praying for you. So my question is, what are the most persistent prayers you pray? I'm going to be honest with you. Probably my, the most persistent prayers I pray have to do with somebody with the last name of Satan and my own crazy soul. Uh, I, I do a lot of my praying with a pen in my journal, and a lot of that is applying what the scriptures have told me that day and saying, God, I don't get this. Help me to get this. Help me to be better at this. So, But the idea here is, Um, How can we get to the point where uh, my prayers move from, and I'm not going to say trivial, but I'm going to say personal, to even more significance? That we can use Paul's example here. He was persistent. He was also purposeful. So I want us to read now the rest of this passage. So I'm going to pick it up in the middle of nine, all right? He was purposeful. So he's persistent. Persistent. Um, And he was purposeful. So I'm going to pick it up in nine. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. What is he praying? What is he uh, saying here? Um, he's not just rambling, he's allowing uh, the Lord's Holy Spirit to um, inspire his prayer. He's thought through this. Do you always think through what you're praying? The reason I pray often with my pen, you see me, I see you doing it. But by the way, the, the best thing ever for your marriage, I'm just going to tell you, best thing ever for your marriage is to sit together for about an hour every morning at 5 o'clock, drink a little coffee, and both of you connecting with God. We don't, there's some of those hours where we don't even talk to each other. We don't have to. God's there. Okay. So when we're writing, I'm writing with my pen, applying what God is telling me. I'm trying to become more purposeful with that. Consider praying with a pen. But sometimes, isn't it true that we really haven't thought through a whole lot what we're praying for? Did Paul think through what he was praying for here in verse 9 and 10 and on through 14? What do you think? Can Can I read
2: something from Romans 8 and 26? Yeah. Likewise, the Spirit also helped us our infirmities. But we know not what we should pray for as we ought, But the Spirit itself makes it intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the heart, know what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God.
0: If you don't know how to pray, he's going to tell you. In fact, he's going to impress on your mind what to pray for. Joe came up to me before class today. He says, I don't know what you're going through, but you've been on my mind. I've been praying for you every night. You know, Joe, I've slept a lot better this week. That's probably because you're praying for me at night. Okay, he, You don't know. And he, the Holy Spirit knows. Okay, So look at, the, look at this passage we just read. I, I found six things. He's praying for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He's praying that they live a life worthy of the Lord. He's praying that they bear fruit in every good work. He's praying that they grow in the knowledge of God. He's praying that they're strengthened with power. He's praying that they have great endurance and patience. Isn't that interesting? That's really specific. So I can't just say, dear Lord, bless Harry. If I know Harry, I need to pray specifically for Harry and Joanne. Okay? Praying purposely, and that's kind of the issue here. Now, Paul's prayers were informed, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the gospel of God, they were persistent. He kept doing it, and they were purposeful. Which one of those four elements is the most needed in your prayer life? That's a good thing. So look at those four things. Which one is most needed, work most needed? And then uh, say, ask yourself: If I were to make one adjustment in my prayer life that would increase my confidence in my prayer life, what would it be? And then do it. Okay. Now, <laughs> Rhonda's not going to believe I'm going to use this illustration, but 1990. So how how long was that? That's a while ago. Yeah, 19, 20, 31 years. Garth Brooks, all right, the great theologian Garth Brooks from the uh, seminary in Yukon, evidently, um, had a global hit song called Unanswered Prayers. Can anybody quote it? I can't, but I'm going to read from it, okay? Not a fan of our brother Brooks. That's okay, though, Okay. The song chronicles an interaction he has with an old high school flame that he bumps into at a football game long after he's married to another woman. He's glad he didn't end up with the old girlfriend. He's happily married to the one he marveled, and he marvels at the fact, and I quote, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer. (laughs) I'm glad, Jeff, this is no negative reflection on you or your chosen profession, but I'm glad... That at 18 and 19, God didn't answer my prayer of being a banker and being married to her. And you don't need to know who she is, okay? (laughs) Rhonda knows. All right? I am so glad he didn't answer that prayer. But that's no excuse not to pray. Okay? What's in your heart? Have you told him about it? What? As you encounter somebody, you bump into somebody, um, and, um, elbow rub elbows with somebody on the way to church. How you doing? Well, I got this going on. Do you ask him about it? Uh, do you ask him literally? And, and I know enough about what goes on around here to know that. Um, uh, the staff of this church is standing on their head trying to figure out the next step because this last 18 months, you said it, so last 18 months, two years has been crazy. What do we do next? How do we expand the gospel in this environment?
1: One on one. Mm-hmm. It's got to be one on one.
0: But it's got to be intentional. And those of us who are in leadership have got to issue a clarion call for that. Pray, the Lord Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. That's not talking about pastors. That's talking about you and me and our daily interaction. He's
1: to answer, Steve, because he calls people and they say, I'm not equipped. I can't do this. And see, that's where the enemy comes in and says... Well, you're not qualified. Look at your lot. And we are accused, and we have to get beyond that.
2: But the Bible also says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I day hear from heaven, and I will heal the land.
0: You... You know that verse because you, you shared it almost verbatim. Let's give God the last moment of this class. Lord, we're grateful that you have called us to be your followers. We have no excuse not to lift our voice to you because we've been told to and we've been taught it. And so we pray that you'd make our prayers more informed and more inspired, more intentional, more purposeful more persistent. Lord, we'll ask you to heal our land, but we'll recognize just as Estella said a few minutes ago, you're going to do that likely one person at a time. Use us. Expand your gospel through us. Expand your kingdom through our work. Thank you for this time. We pray that we'll be better at connecting with you as a result of being here these these last few minutes. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. amen. We'll pick it up at verse 15 next week. Good to see you.